Welcome to Stateless, a mini-series podcast aiming to spotlight the stories and livelihood of refugees in Hong Kong. By making their voices heard, we aim to raise awareness of this community and bridge the cultural gaps. I'm your host, Stephanie Mazzini, and this podcast is brought to you by Aline Tong, Farah Wong, and Tiffany Chan. Today, I'll be speaking with Roy Nuabe, Head of Refugees, Opportunity, and Development at Branches of Hope. We are going to deep dive into his personal story and what motivates him to create change amongst the refugee community in Hong Kong. Hi, Roy. Welcome to the podcast. So my first question is for you to introduce yourself. You're originally from Cameroon. So tell us what brought you to Hong Kong. My name is Roy Njuabe. Um, as you mentioned, I'm originally from Cameroon. Um, I was born in Cameroon and grew up in Cameroon. Um, I was a veterinarian by profession. Um, so I work at a veterinary doctor, you know, back in my country for a couple of years and uh, lived there, grew up there, wanted to live my life over in Cameroon. But uh, we have different political issues that happens in my country and also with all the unrest that is happening in the world today, as you can see. So sometimes it happens when you're not prepared. And so you just have to leave and look for safety to make sure that, you know, you are alive and that you can return one day and be able to continue to contribute to your country. So my country, Cameroon, is a very beautiful country. Um, I would say a beautiful place, um, nice landscape. We have, you know, multiple languages in my country, almost 250, uh, but we only speak French and English as our official language because of uh, the colonial master that came in and said, hey, you have to shut up your mouth. You got to speak two languages, French or English, period. No other dialect. Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> so that that came out that, you know, that's how we end up with these two official languages um, in my country. So following um, a couple of unrest and other um, human rights um, challenges, um, there were no other option that we could do but to to find a way that we could you know um, stay alive so moving out of my country wasn't uh, wasn't an easy task for me and my family um, my mom my siblings were not really happy when i was leaving uh, but there we we but they had no other option but for me to to be safe and so i left my country and i moved to hong kong um 2005 so here i am today just love hong kong and it's a beautiful place Wow. So you left Hong Kong in 2000. I mean, you arrived in Hong Kong in 2005. So tell us about your story in Hong Kong. What was it like when you arrived then coming from Cameroon? I'm assuming it was your first time here. What was that whole experience like? Oh, what's a beautiful experience when you land at the airport and you look at the beautiful city and it's like, wow, it's so good as compared to my country, but beneath it, it was something else, you know. Um, when I arrived Hong Kong, I, I, I did love the place, but not that very much. Um, uh, living here at the beginning was quite very challenging culturally. Um, the language that I was hearing, was I wasn't familiar with it. The food were different from what I ate in my country, so I had to adjust. Um, Accommodation-wise, you know, houses here are really, really small. Uh, back in my home country, my, I had my own house of over six bedrooms. So I had to, you know, squeeze my skin into, uh, you know, one-bedroom house. So it was really challenging. Um, I had to live upstairs, like 16, 20-something floor. But in my country, I have a house, you know, well-furnished and, you know, um, 
So it was quite difficult at the beginning. Back in my country, I have I can ride, I can drive my car, you know, easily. But when I came to Hong Kong, I had all this restriction that I cannot um, drive until I have certain kind of license or whatever. So it was quite very um, uh, difficult. Um, most of the things that I see on the streets were mostly in Chinese languages. So we have some English translation, but when you go to kind of very local local environment that you really want to interact with, you are, you are unable to read the information, so you are lost somehow. So that makes life at the beginning quite very frustrating, uh, to be honest with you. Um, stress, depression, too much thinking, wondering what the future will look like in the city was all rolling around your brain. And at, at one point, you just have to face the reality that you're in a different place and think of how to adjust. Well, it sounds like it definitely was a really big culture shock for you and, and definitely a change coming from Cameroon because, you know, Africa with the big houses, lots of space, and it's a real change from Hong Kong. So tell us about your role when it comes to Branches of Hope and being head of refugees, opportunities and development. Wow, that's a very lovely question. I love that. You know, branches of hope, just the name alone, it's just, um, <laughs> it's how it's, it's just a, a place of hope, right? Um, when I moved in Hong Kong, um, there were a lot of refugees in the city living on the street. Uh, no hope, uh, no home, you know, no support from the community. They were quite very depressed. And I'm a person that I have a very strong background in advocacy. I'm a fighter, mm -hmm. I'm a human rights advocate. Um, I don't see things and stay quiet. It's just not part of me. So that's what gets me into trouble because I can't see injustice and I stay quiet. It's just not me. Um, if I see it and I stay quiet, um, I become depressed. It means that if you tie me that I cannot speak, then I become um, really um, agitated. So I decided to, to start what we call a peacemaking program. Um, this was because I noticed in Hong Kong that many people do not understand who are refugees. So they rejected refugees out of ignorance. Um, the fact that refugees were coming from African countries, Southeast Asian countries, uh, Middle East, they label them with kind of a negative connotations, like those who are not educated, those who are, you know, wanting a better life, those who didn't even, um, doesn't have any skills in them. And all this information were wrong. So I started to organize what we call a peacemaking program to discuss to the local people and share information about refugees to help them understand who are these people in their neighborhood. And that created a platform through which refugees and the local were able to meet together and exchange ideas. And to be honest with you, many local people realized that they had a very wrong perception about refugees. They realized that they were friendly, they were kind, they were generous, they were gentle, and they were very smart people too. You know, when I came here, people thought that I was like, so I went to one school and, a, and, a, and the student asked me, um, in Africa, do you live on trees? and stay with animals, you know? So you, you can imagine this kind of question. You just know that they were quite very not well informed. So when I talked to them about my background, they were surprised. And one time a, a child brought his, his cat that was sick to me. And I helped him to bring the, to make the cat to, um, uh, to be healthy. And he was surprised. So how do you know this? I said, oh, really? You know, so many of them started realizing that some of us sitting around there were not just that dumb as they thought we were. 
So they started approaching us in a very different way. So, but however, we do have other refugees that were really struggling in the city to make ends meet. So while I've tried to create platform through which refugees and the local can build a mutual trust and a mutual understanding and a mutual respect for one another, um, I think that it will be right for us to create a way that we can offer some humanitarian assistance to the refugees and uh, to help them survive in the city because they don't have the right to work and they don't have any income at all. So how would they survive? So that is how we started meeting together to plan you know, what we have um, today as an organization that helps refugee. Now, when you talk about branches of hope, it started as well on a different note, because I was there at that time working in another organization um, that I started a peacemaking program with. Now, Branch of Hope started by a refugee who was in detention. And this refugee sent a letter to different churches around Hong Kong and said, hey, look, I am in detention. Can you come and visit me? Now, all the other churches, nobody went to visit these refugees except one church called Divine Church. It is in one child. So a pastor from that church received this letter from detention and went to this refugee to in, in detention and said, hey, look, we received a letter from you asking for a visit. So here I am, I'm Pastor Tony Reed. How can we help you? So this refugee was quite very happy and amazed by this pastor who came to visit him in detention. And when the, the refugee was released from detention, he walked to the church and said, hello, here I am. I've been released from detention. So what can I do? The pastor, welcome to the church. Whatever you want to do, just stay with us. So this refugee became a very strong member of the Vine Church at that time. And through him, many other refugees started coming to join uh, the church. So they end up forming a small group called, you know, the Refugee Fellowship. This group of refugees started growing from one person to almost 50 refugees coming for spiritual nurturing. But however, the church realized that they don't only need spiritual nurturing, they also need physical, financial, as well as emotional support. So the church started giving them financial support at the beginning, but realized that the number of refugees coming is growing and growing and reach almost 100 refugees seeking support from the church. The church could not sustain this great amount of refugee coming because they have to focus on the spiritual matter of the church. So then they decided to form what is called Branches of Hope today. So they formed an organization, an independent organization, to take care of these refugees. So this organization called Branches of Hope today started as what we call Divine Community Services Limited that provide humanitarian assistance to refugees and asylum seekers in Hong Kong. And from there, that, have been, that has been at least for many, many years, um, since 2007, that they started serving refugees and asylum seekers till today. Love the story of like the pastor and helping and how it's all kind of rooted in the church. It's, it's such a nice story and it's such a good foundation for Branches of Hope as a whole. Mm. Um, I think I'm just circling back to a conversation we once had like a while ago, Roy, you may mm -hmm. remember, 
But you told me once that Branches of Hope is all about kind of going from hands up to hands down. Can you tell me what that means in the case of Hong Kong and with refugees in particular? Absolutely. I think that's just kind of after the the Branch of Hope was formed, it was more about hands to mouth, meaning that, you know, they provide them food, clothing, you know, um, whatever you need that will just keep you afloat. So when I joined, when I came to Branch of Hope at that time, I saw the system that was happening, that was what I were going on with the refugees. I wasn't really satisfied with what was happening. And I said, providing refugees with, you know, uh, just food would not help them in any way. They will stay the same condition for years. And that is what has been happening over the past many years because refugees only depend on food and clothing and whatever you think that you can give to somebody in a very desperate situation. Exactly. So I had to re- I have to revise the whole refugee process. It didn't come easily because I myself I find it very difficult, you know, for, for to to implement changes. So I had to do some studies myself. You know, I traveled to different countries. You know, I, I went to Oxford University to study there um, for a month for a special program targeting for refugees on how to develop refugees. So when I came back from there, I changed the whole system from humanitarian to development. And the reason why I changed the system was because when I was at um, Oxford University studying, I had a presentation to one of my professors. Um, he, he asked me, you know, what can you do for a refugee? I get a very good presentation about, you know, how to provide them this wonderful relief, you know, make them feel happy and good, you know, and give them all the type of clothing they need and the type of wonderful nutritious food they will need. And he asked me a question. If you are a refugee, and I give you all these things, would you be happy? Mm, what a great question. I was stuck. So it means that I'm preparing a program for people that even if that same program for me, mm. I won't be happy with it. Yeah. So sometimes we give people, we offer people services that if they offer the same service to us, we want to receive it. So that's what we call empathy, right? You have to put yourself into the person's shoes. Mm-hmm. So that question makes me to go back and revisit my strategy and implement what we call empowerment and development, where a refugee can become self-sufficient in a way that they can take care of themselves rather than depending on humanitarian handout assistance. So how would that work in Hong Kong? First of all, we need to find a common grounds between the refugees and the local community. We need to organize programs that will effectively empower refugees to take responsibility of themselves. Let me let me remind you, even if the food you give to the refugees, you can make them earn the food. Yeah. You can make them receive the food with dignity. I won't go to the market to tell you, oh, what do you want me to buy for you? I can actually give you the money to make the decision by yourself. Yeah. I can I can help you teach you how to prepare the meal than for me to prepare the meal and come and give it to you. So yeah. there are different ways that you can help to empower somebody who can feel that his rights and his dignity are being respected. So I started organizing training programs. I organized barista training program for our refugees, warehouse training program for our refugees. Um, legal training program for our refugees. You can the list can go on and on and on. With all these different trainings, some refugees were stimulated to take further studies 
in order to equip themselves for the future. Now, one guy asked me, a refugee cannot work in Hong Kong. Why should you train their refugee? And I asked him- a great question. (laughs) Yes, and I asked him this question. A student cannot work in Hong Kong, technically, although they can work. Mm. But when they study, they go back to their country or to another country and work. So why I'm studying here does not mean that I have to end up to work in Hong Kong. I can study in Hong Kong. When I move to the U.S. or to any part of the world, I can work. Refugees have the potential to, to move to another country. But mm. while they are waiting for their claim to be processed in Hong Kong, they should go to school. Because once a claim is successful and they resettle them to Canada or to the U.S., they already build up their skills in Hong Kong so that when they go to those countries, they should not start from scratch. They'll be able to just get into the society directly. I have one very good example. I don't, I don't think that I want to call the name here. But we had a refugee who was in Hong Kong. We, Branch of Hope, paid the tuition for that refugee to go to the university. She went to the university and got a degree in psychology after yeah. many years in Hong Kong. Now, mm-hmm. last year, the refugee was resettled to Canada. What happened? Does she have to go back to study bachelor degree? No. Right away, she got a job and now she's working. That's a very good and practical example that you can train a refugee while they are still waiting so that when they resettle to a country where they regain their right to work, they can easily integrate into the community. Another practical example is a refugee in Hong Kong. He was an asylum seeker in Hong Kong. So we train a refugee as a barista to, you know, this barista training to make coffee or whatever. When this refugee gained his refugee status in Hong Kong, he had the legal right to apply for a job. And when he got a job in a, in a coffee shop, he applied the skill that we trained him to when he was still an asylum seeker to work in this company, this barista company. So training an asylum seeker, it's okay because tomorrow they could use that same skill to advance your career. It's all about giving people a purpose for their time, right? So when they're here in Hong Kong, they're stimulated. They have the opportunity to do something. And I think, unfortunately, the way Hong Kong is set up, a lot of that is from private companies versus like the public sector doing that for the refugee communities. But I love all of the training programs that you're doing and how you're really empowering the community to to think beyond their current situation and think about the future. Because things can change. You don't need to be stuck in the cycle as and sometimes it's so difficult to look outside of the box. But when you step out, you can learn so much. Yeah, and to add to that is... Once a refugee comes to you, their condition and their situation makes them blind to their, for their future. They are coming to you asking for immediate assistance when they are in crisis. This is natural. Anybody in crisis will want what we call survival. How will I survive to put food on my table tomorrow and the next day to pay my bills? And most of the people that work with refugees stick on these survivals to help refugees. So they stick on to what they're asking for. But at Brands of Hope, we change that narrative. When a refugee comes to me and said, hey, Roy, I need food for tomorrow. While I'm serving you that food, I'm talking to you about your future. I'm helping you to rethink your position. 
and motivate you to look at yourself differently. And that is where many refugees have been motivated to think about developing themselves. And so one refugee came to me the other day was like, you know, Roy, I've been in Hong Kong for five years and I'm really lost in the city. And I was surprised that that particular refugee in his country, he was a lawyer. Mm. But here in Hong Kong, he could not practice law because of his ability, because of his limitation legally. Yeah. What happened? I said, hey, look, you can actually use your skills. You can develop your skills. So I have to connect him with other law firms to see how they can help him develop his skills while he is here. And he was saying, hey, is that, can I do that? Can somebody help to train me? I said, sure, training is okay. And that helped him to think outside his own comfort zone, knowing that he can actually build up his career while in Hong Kong for his future. Wow. Well, I mean, you've given us a bit of a download of everything in terms of the branches of hope background and training. Um, but I just want to circle back to just the beginning of this conversation, because I know um, you mentioned about how a lot of refugees have different journeys to get here. So if we just think back to your journey, what was your journey coming to Hong Kong like? Like you got on a plane, you landed here. Was that a difficult journey or was that something that at the time it was quite straightforward no visa I assume no visa needed just to get on very it was very straightforward at that time at that time you don't need to worry about travel travel was quite very easy I I would say Um, you just get your passport you pay your flight ticket when when you you want to leave and you can move and enter Hong Kong and leave and enter Hong Kong so at that time when I moved here, it wasn't really a very difficult problem to um, to travel. And I would say majority of the refugee came here by, by, by flight. You know, you land at the airport and the immigration check you in, you know, they stamp your passport, you get in. And then that's that's how you, you, you follow up with your asylum process in, in the city. Um, I think over the past few years is that when you arrived in Hong Kong, um, they will give you a, a limited number of stay. Um, some countries is three weeks, uh, two weeks. Some countries is uh, uh, three months. So it depends on which country you come from. They'll give you the number, the length of stay based on your country passport. And then when you go to apply for asylum, the immigration will tell you to wait until your visa expires before you come to apply for asylum. So you have to go back and stay in the city before when your visa expires, then you go now to apply for asylum. When you go to apply for asylum, they will say, hey, look, your visa has expired, so we'll charge you as an overstayer. However, you can apply for asylum now. So they forcefully make you to become an overstayer before you apply for asylum. So they will have the reason to say you are an illegal immigrant. So when you hear about the, 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 the news or oh, refugee are illegal immigrants, it's just because the immigration let their visas to expire before allow them to apply for asylum. So that way now they'll be classified as um, 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 illegal immigrants um, in Hong Kong. So many refugees um, had to go through the same process uh, before they can apply for asylum. So what would you say are the policies changes that need to be made in respect to refugees in Hong Kong, how how they live, how the conditions are? Is there anything that you feel from your experience is pressing for the government to make? I think one of the big issues is to change the rhetorics about refugees. 
because people listen to their government. The more the government talk about a certain group of people, that is how you let people either love them or hate them. Yeah. Uh, for example, one example is in Canada. Refugees in Canada are not treated like animals, they're treated like human beings. The government talk in favor of refugees. They support people who are caring for refugees. They provide information on the website on how to care for refugees. They make you, the citizens, understand that refugees are welcome in Canada. So coming from the government, the people will welcome them as well. But government where they are talking negatively about refugees, you pass a negative information to the community. And that's how people will start to be against refugees because the government is doing so. I would say if the government can change its approach of talking about refugees to be more positive, talking about how can we empower these people, how can we help these people, you know, to be contributor to our society, how can we help them, you know, to be more meaningful in our community, then the citizen will respond that way. Yeah. So that's for me, that's one approach that the government can take. Another right. policy shift might be a policy of allowing refugees to be able to get access to employment. Right now, those who can access employment in Hong Kong are just recognized refugees. I hope you understand between uh, asylum seekers and refugees in this context. Asylum seekers are those who are still applying for uh, protection and refugees are those who have been recognized by the government. Although in Hong Kong, we call asylum seekers non-reformal claimant. So if the government have uh, allowed non-reformer claimants who are still applying for asylum to work in the city, it will be very good. It will be a win-win situation. Now, um, some country practice this kind of policy is that when a refugee arrives in a country or an asylum seeker arrives in a country, they will give you at least one year to adjust yourself in a country. After that one year, you're not eligible to apply for a work permit as an asylum seekers. So once you are still holding asylum seeker status, you have the right to look for a job. The, during the process of you know, asylum, seeking, asylum seeking process, while your claim is being assessed by the, um, um, by the immigration of that country, you can work until when your case is being rejected before they know what to do with you, whether they're sending you back to your home country, but the waiting time you need to, um, uh, to, to get a job and work. So if Hong Kong can apply this particular system, it will help both the refugees and the local community. How will it help the refugees? They'll be able to develop new skills, um, build up their career, so that at the end, if you send them back to the home country when their case is rejected, or when they resettle to a third country, they'll be able to immediately contribute to that country where they have been resettled to. And for the local community, they'll be able to have the opportunity to work with people from other nationality. They'll have the opportunity to integrate with these people at the workforce, at the workplaces, and that will build up their international mindset to know that, you know, to work in a company that in a, a local company working with non-locals, non-local resident will boost the understanding of how the international system work. It's really about building up skills for the future. Absolutely. Um, so just as you mentioned earlier about that rhetoric and that language, when we talk about COVID-19, I think 
globally there's been a lot of language and, and a lot of people almost like pointing fingers and blaming different parts of the population particularly in Hong Kong we've seen that um in the over the course of the fifth wave we've seen a lot of news and reports about how a lot of members of the refugee communities have been impacted um heavily by the shortages and more so than i suppose the average person in Hong Kong because they're very reliant on vouchers to purchase food mm-hmm. so from your experience how has the pandemic and maybe perhaps more specifically this fifth wave we've just kind of gone through impacted the refugee community very drastic way i would say but the vulnerable people was like double the impact um because resources were distributed to locals but they have no none of those resources are right rich are refugee community the fifth wave you know impacted many ngos that supported refugees which means that as those ngos lack the capacity to care for refugees then the refugees don't have do not have a space where they can go there for um, assistance so many refugees were overwhelmed but of the refugees um, had problem accessing um, food uh, supplies um the, the the money that they were given that were given to them by ISS um was was wasn't enough the reason is because you know prices of food went up and so but the amount of money they receive from ISS stays the same so in the past you know let's say few few years or few months ago they were able to buy you know um enough food for the amount of money that they were, that were, that were, that were given to them but now that same amount of money could not buy the same quantity of food so many refugees also face problem with um their cases at the immigration which means interviews were postponed uh, court hearing for their claim were postponed and so it it lengthened their stay um, um in the process which means that decision will come you know far later in the later in the year so that makes them become um, um very um depressed and uh, they're not very sure about uh, their um, their future so with all these um, challenges um, uh, some of the refugees were able to um, sustain this this challenge moment uh, by trying to build community around them so that is where brands of hope step in we try to build communities around refugees to support them during this um, uh, during this process uh, one way we did was that we allow we let refugees connect with some local um, uh, people that 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 were able to to help refugees um, gain some additional resources from um, other ngos and also we had a lot of different organizations and corporates that helped to donate um, food items and coupons to branches of hope and we use these food items and coupons to distribute them to the refugee community to in, to, uh, to add to what they already have from ISS at least they were able to have some food um, to eat lastly um, uh, refugees they just have to wait for um the court or maybe immigration to be open for them to go back there for the interviews regarding their claims so all those um, a period of time you know they just have to wait until um those offices are as um, or those offices um, are opened so for that reason um refugee do not have any other option in in this particular case but just to wait
the long waiting game, especially in Hong Kong, when we we have no real sign of when things are opening up. So I can only imagine how difficult it must be. It is. How how would you say the Hong Kong community can help refugees? What can we do, even if it's something small? Um, what what can the community do in this respect? If the community can group themselves together and care for a particular refugee, it would be nice. And this is what I'm trying to, to, to talk to people is that um, understanding and knowing the refugees, it's a kind of a step towards the right direction. It helps to create uh, bonds between the local community and, ref and the refugees and for the local community to understand the actual needs for the refugees so that they can actually support each other during this pandemic or even moving forward. Another simple way is just to um, to raise awareness, to, to talk to your friends, talk to your colleagues. When you know about these stories for refugees, you know, and you're in a, in, in a midst where people are throwing out all this negative, you know, um, discourse about refugees, you can actually play a role by saying, hey, look, I, I have a refugee friend. It's not who who you are talking about. It's not the, the kind of person you are describing uh, right now. Help to educate the population will really help to mitigate um, the negative um, uh, messages about refugees. That's kind of a very simple way, just to be, I would say, a soft advocate without really going on the stage or writing onto media. Just around your circle, you can actually make change around your circle. Yeah, it's all about starting small absolutely, and, and seeing how to grow. So final question, if there's one thing that the local Hong Kong community can take away from this entire conversation that we've had, what what is it? What is the one thing you want them to remember? Refugees are human beings and they are very good people. Get close to them, get to know them, get to understand their story. It will change your perspective and they will become your best friends. And that refugees are people who got skills and talent just as any other human being in the whole wide world. And if you give them a chance, they can prove that to you. And both you and the refugee can make Hong Kong a very beautiful place to live in, a very multicultural city, dynamic and welcoming society. That's great. Thank you so much, Roy. Um, so much loved having you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the Hong Kong refugee community, please consider donating to Branches of Hope through our fundraising campaign, give.asia-stateless campaign. Follow us on Instagram at stateless underscore stories for more updates.